Hello, hello. If you have been binge eating in secret or suffering in silence, this is the episode for you to listen to now. So stay tuned. Welcome to another episode of Binge Eating to Food Freedom with me, Katie Papo. If you're ready for genuine and lasting freedom from binge eating, emotional eating, or out of control food issues, you are in the right place. Subscribe, follow, and enjoy the episode. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Binge Eating to Food Freedom podcast. And this is actually the last episode of this series. I did a five episode series starting with the first episode of this uh, season. And the series was the five smartest things I did to end binge eating permanently. And this is episode five. So um, this is about a shift that I made when you know, for the majority of my, I was about to say binge eating career, <laughs> I had been binge eating for a number of years and suffering in silence and keeping it a secret and really doing, you know, actively doing everything I could so that people wouldn't know. And I would hide wrappers beneath other garbage in the garbage can so people wouldn't see what I had eaten or I'd throw it away in other garbage cans. I would eat, I would sneak eat in the car. I would sneak eat when people weren't in the room. Um, it, when I had gained weight, I would wear different clothes, baggier clothes. So um, I would hope that people wouldn't be able to tell. So there was a, a number of, of um ways that I had tried actively to keep this a secret. And I think um, the majority of my community, those of you who struggle with the same, also have been keeping it a secret on some level. Maybe you binge in secret. Maybe you even have um, a partner or a family member or a friend who knows that you struggle with food or knows that you struggle with weight. But when push comes to shove, they don't know how bad it really is. And for the majority of people I've spoken to, even when they have family or friends who know that they struggle, they really don't know how deep it actually goes. And they don't know if they even could understand how deep it actually goes, because this can be a tough thing to explain to somebody who has never actually lived it, right? A lot of times, we, you know, I hear stories all the time. People go to doctors or therapists or nutritionists and they'll say, um, or especially I would say like doctors or physical health professionals and they'll say, oh, you've been gaining weight. You really, or you really need to stop eating this. And then if you say like, oh, well, I struggle with binge eating or I struggle with emotional eating, things like that, they'll basically say, okay, well, just try not to eat these foods and <laughs> do your best. And they don't really know how all consuming this is. They don't understand that the issue isn't really that you're not educated in nutrition or what's healthy or what's not. It's more that you feel like the urge is beyond your control, right? It's not about lack of education. It's not like you don't have information. It's not like you haven't done 50,000 things and read a whole library's worth of books on different nutrition plans. You probably know more than most people. So it's not that you're not educated. It's that there's a gap because the knowing what to do and being able to do it is not the same thing. And if you have a, a compulsive issue around food where you 
feel like you cannot stop yourself or you can't stop thinking about it until you binge or until you eat whatever that food is, then that's not an education issue, right? So this can be tough to explain to people. It can also be tough to explain kind of to the addiction, addiction community because for any other addiction, like smoking or drinking or drugs, we can practice abstinence, right? We can just say, okay, well, I just won't smoke, right? Just, and not that that's easy, but it is simple, right? It's simple to say either, you know, I will or I won't, yes or no. Whereas with food, there's a lot of gray area because we always have to eat, right? It's not the same as other addictions because we have to eat in order to live. So we can't actually be abstinence or practice sobriety in that way. So it can be a tough thing to explain. And even when we do try to explain, we can feel massively misunderstood. So in this episode, I wanted to share a shift that I made when I was um, in my recovery process. And uh, it'll look different, I think, for everyone, but you'll have variations. And this will at least get your gears turning and what you can do for yourself. Because ultimately, this is your journey, right? It's not my journey. I can give you the, the formula and the strategy to make certain shifts that are necessary for freedom with food. But the way that you surround yourself with support, the way um, you reach out for help, all of those things, that's very personal. That's up to you. So I'll give you some insights that I believe will help you make these decisions for yourself. Okay. So let me give you a little bit of context. So when I was struggling with binge eating myself, I, like I had mentioned before, I kept it very secret and especially because I was in the health field and I worked in weight loss and, um, which I believe contributed to my disordered eating. And so I didn't want to be a fraud, right? I, I already felt super out of integrity, but God forbid I, I ever told anyone how out of integrity I actually was. And if you're a health coach of some kind or a health professional of some kind and you struggle with the same, just know that you're not alone. I've actually received so many messages from people who work in weight loss or work in the health field who uh, struggle just like you and you know, on the outside, on their social medias, right? They're all promoting what they do, but then secretly they binge, you know, just as much as anybody. So uh, just know that you're not alone if that's you. And it's good that you're getting help because ultimately part of your healing process will be not just to be physically healthy and mentally healthy, but also to feel spiritually healthy in the sense that you are in integrity with yourself. You are practicing what you preach and you you live in accordance with your values. When we don't live in accordance with our values or we break promises to ourselves, this is how we erode trust in ourselves. And ultimately the erosion of trust is a huge part of binge eating in the first place or any disordered eating in the first place. So when I was first struggling, I didn't tell anybody for quite a while. And, you know, people knew little things like, oh, I'm craving chocolate today, or I can't, once I have this food, I can't stop, you know, little jokes like that. I would make light of it, but nobody knew what was really happening behind closed doors. And then once I understood on a deeper level that 
what I was dealing with was not just a lack of willpower. It was not just a lack of discipline. In fact, it was neither of those things. I realized I was dealing with actual disordered eating issues. And once I recognized that, I decided I wanted to help myself. And um, which is a huge decision on its own is literally just the decision to help yourself to get help and to, and to stop suffering in silence or binge eating in secret and, and struggling in silence. So I didn't know exactly how, because when I looked kind of down the road of what the conventional methods were, it was very easy for me to see at that point that those were not going to work for me. And I could see why they don't work for many people. So I wasn't even going to go down that road. I already knew I needed to kind of think outside the box. But I knew no matter what I did, it was going to be very difficult to do this by myself. And I didn't have at that point, like anything like what we offer now, for example, like we offer, you know, programs to guide you through the step by step. I didn't see anything like that that existed. So or nothing I could trust. I did try working with various coaches and therapists and things like that. But um, like many of you, it was a waste of time and money and, and effort for me. So uh, as I was kind of embarking on this path, I had to make a decision of who I was going to tell who was close to me. So while even though they, they weren't professionals and I knew they ultimately wouldn't be able to hand me a map or hand me a strategy, I knew that on some level I didn't want to be alone going through this. And I think it is really hard to go through a recovery process alone. I think that's why things like AA, for example, um, one of the reasons why it's so effective for people is because they have a big community. OA, I'm actually going to do an episode on OA next week. There are reasons why I don't promote it. Um, uh, but we'll talk about that. Uh, in, in, I think actually we're going to do that episode. Yeah, that'll come out next Monday. Anyway, that's that's a side note. So I decided at that point to tell Shahar, who's now the mindset coach of our program and has been for five years. And he at that point wasn't my husband yet. We were best friends. But I knew that of all people in the world, he would not judge me or I would hope. It was very hard for me to even express to him, especially knowing that he didn't struggle with the same what I was actually going through. But what I can share is that when I did tell him and I was able to convey what some of my needs were as I was going through the process, it was one of the most important shifts I could have made for myself, not just because of receiving his support emotionally, but also I believe it was a really important emotional milestone for me to just say the words out loud to someone. And I know that for a lot of my listeners, actually, you have been, I've been the person for you who you've said these words out loud to that you were, and, and I, and I've, so I've witnessed it. I've experienced what a relief it is just to speak it and to own it. And once we own it and we speak it and we say it as it is, now we're finally in a position to meet ourselves where we are. Because if we don't say it on some level, I think we're still, um, in denial that, oh, maybe it's not that bad, or, you know, I'm sure for other people it's worse. And as soon as we're going into that road, it's like we're denying, um, we're denying the depth of our problem. Therefore, we're denying ourselves 
the depth of a solution. And um, I know how hard it is to choose a person to even say this to. I know that when I was a kid, and so this goes a little deeper since I was I was young, but I had struggled when I was a kid with uh, trichotillomania, which is a, kind of a rare thing, but basically what it is, I've dealt with a lot of compulsive addiction stuff, um, but basically it's when you pull your hair, you either pull out your hair, you pull out the ends, or if you struggle with skin picking, it's the same sort of um, notion, but basically it's like this compulsive need to, uh, compulsive obsessive need to like pull your hair. And I was dealing with this really severely as a kid. And I didn't know anyone else who struggled with this. I never saw anyone else pulling their hair like I was. And I tried to do it in private, but sometimes once I started, I couldn't stop and I would even do it publicly. But I would stay up even like till three in the morning pulling my hair out. And sometimes this was like night after night. And I struggled with this so much. And then um, finally, my parents, I don't think I had told even them yet, but uh, they were already taking me to psych psychiatrists and I was struggling with anxiety and things. And they took me to somebody and it took me all of my emotional strength and capacity to even say out loud what I was struggling with. And I went on what felt like this monologue where I was explaining what it was and how it felt and how I struggled and how embarrassing it was. And I didn't know what to do. And I felt so helpless. And at the end of that session, I remember the psychiatrist basically just like said one sentence back to me, wrote me a prescription for meds. And that was my session. And I remember feeling, I cried for like two days after that. And I remember feeling so um, unseen and so unheard. And I've, I've seen some of you in my free Facebook group. Um, you've posted saying, oh, I'm seeing my therapist today. I want to bring up that I'm struggling with this, but I don't know if she'll get it. Or some of you like have brought this up to doctors and, and they haven't understood. And so it's like we go through this huge emotional experience of even saying it, but then we're not received. We're not seen, we're not heard, we're not understood. So in that sense, we're, it's almost like discouraging from reaching out and getting help because even when we do, we feel even more alone, right? Like what's worse than feeling alone is then trying to tell someone and trying to reach out and then we're not seen. And then we feel even worse than we did before, even more alone than we did before. Uh, so I really understand that feeling and I understand the hesitation. And that's why I wanted to kind of address this on an episode is because the shift that I made wasn't just to tell someone to get it off my chest. I already had an established trust with that person. I knew for a fact that he, there is no possible way he would ever judge me and that he would only be there to love and support me. So I encourage you when you are expressing this to someone, whether they struggle with binge eating or not, and you just want to have someone emotionally on your side as you're going through this recovery process, not for them to give you a map, not for them to coach you, but just to have someone with you as a support system. This I believe is so important, but we don't want to go into it blindly, or it could be more harm than good. Like if you finally, um, 
really trust in somebody and then they let you down, right? And of course we can't predict the world, but you you know who in your life will be unconditionally supportive and who won't. I know that for me, when I also make big decisions in my life and I'm, I'm, I'm still in that process of, of making that decision or maybe I've made it, but I'm still coming to terms with the fact that I'm making it because it's so big. I won't tell people who I know will just play devil's advocate or ask a million questions or doubt me or say I'll fail or whatever it is. I won't even bring it up to them. Even if I'm going to tell them eventually, I won't say it until I'm solid in myself. But I will reach out to someone, for example, for me, that person was Shahar, is Shahar. And he was unconditionally loving, zero judgment and totally supportive. So if you have that person in your life, um, this episode, I think, coming from me is an encouragement to maybe share if you feel like you can to share what you're going through to have some emotional support. Um, again, not because they're going to be the ones to coach you or help you, even if they want to. And even those of us you know, who have the best intentions, even if, if we want more than anything and we would lay down and die for that person, that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to know what's best. So I, for example, we have a, a client who just finished working with us. She's doing so well. And I see her posting in our, our graduate group almost every day. And she has a wonderfully supportive husband. And he didn't know because she didn't tell him how deeply she was struggling with food. And, uh, and she had always been on diets and he was supportive to her as she was going through the diets, right? Like, so she would say, I can't eat this. So he would say, you know, all right, I won't bring that into the house. Or if she was eating that, he'd say, wait, isn't that not on your diet? And he was trying to be supportive that way. Now, when we're recovering from an eating disorder, the type of support looks very different. So in the beginning, when we, when she first started working with us, and since we, um, disordered eating recovery really requires no uh, strict food rules. We have other means that we practice recovery, but the strict food rules tend to reinforce binging. So we stray away from that. So he had already been supporting her, but from the place of let me help you restrict. So she needed to communicate with him, okay, this is how to support me now. And towards the end of her working with us, I had, I had said with her, I said, you know, I want to give you some, because you have such a support, supportive husband, I want to give you some, some things to think about what you can, what you can kind of use him for as you're going through this recovery process onward, because he is such a great asset in your life. So I gave her some examples of, of the work that we were doing with her and how she could include him in that. And so he could be a support system for her. And it took her about a month to really get up the courage to speak all of that to him. And she just reached out last week and she said, I finally, it's been a month and I, I finally, we took a walk together and I told him everything and I, and he was so supportive and so good. And we're leaving the conversation open so that we can continue to talk about it. And now she has someone to walk this walk with her, even if he's not the coach, right? He's the support. So I believe it's, it is important to have both, right? To have the practical strategy, right? This is why we created our program, to give people the strategy. 
And then on another level to have your emotional support system to, to, um, to give you what you need to keep going, right? It's one that there's the way I look at it and the way we've designed our programs is there's the strategy, right? There's the, there's the, you needed to have a proven strategy that you know works that when you walk that path, you'll get the results you want. That's non-negotiable, of course. Then there's uh, your support system that comes from within you. So we train our clients, for example, to support themselves more deeply. To We help uh, our clients to create a new inner dialogue so that way you're not beating yourself, you're not constantly criticizing yourself or guilting yourself or shaming yourself. These are the things that slow down progress, but instead how to be your own best teammate, how to be your own best support system. But in those lower moments, right, or when we're building that skill, it's helpful to also have an external support system, whether that's one person who's, you know, really close to you or a group of people who you feel like will love you and support you unconditionally, um, not sign off on your bullshit, <laughs> excuse my words, um, but to really just support your healing. So I believe all three of those things are really critical when it comes to a full, complete recovery is to have your strategy, your own relationship with yourself, and then some support from the outside, which could be, you know, someone you hire or someone close to you, depending on what you feel like you need. And that's where it's personal, right? We've had some clients who really don't want to tell their family members. We've had some clients who join our program secretly and they tell us that and we're their support system. And that's what they've chosen. That's what's right for them. So there's no right or wrong way. I'm not saying go and, you know, shout from the rooftops what you're struggling with. But what I'm bringing up is to have these components in line, right? Your strategy, your inner support that you cultivate within yourself. So you're your own best friend on this journey. And then some kind of external support as you go to. So I hope you found that helpful. This was an important shift for me to even ask for help in the first place, to even acknowledge that I needed help. That for me was a shift on its own and a major one. And because I did that, uh, I was able to move forward. And, and even though I was developing that relationship with myself too, I had something to lean on during those down moments. I had Shahar to lean on during those down moments as I was following my path and, and I was doing what I need to do, right? I'm still pulling my own weight, but I had uh, an extra emotional support system too. So I invite you to start just considering this for yourself, to start asking yourself the question, if I'm really serious about ending this issue for good, what is it that I need? And what does that look like for me so I can make this process as easy for myself as possible, right? Don't ask yourself, oh, what should I do? Or what does everyone say I should do? Ask yourself, what would make this process for you the most peaceful? What would bring the most ease and simplicity to this process for you? So that way you can take all the steps you need on this healing journey and you're giving yourself support from all sides. Okay, this is the this is my invitation for you today. So I hope you found this helpful. Uh, know that we are starting a nine week coaching program next uh, this week, Wednesday, May twenty fourth. And if you want more information, you can look at my website. We also have a self study program for those of you who really want to go through this 
on your own methodically and you know you're, you're good at following structure and you don't need uh, accountability, you can just show up and you know you'll you'll really do the work. We have that for you too. You can check out my website for all the info on our programs that we're offering right now. Um, but know that the help is there. And as soon as we can own that we need the help and that we deserve the help and that we're prioritizing ourselves, that's where we can start opening up to receive. So I hope you found this helpful and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe, follow, or leave a kind review. If you're ready to get down to business and work with me to end your food issues permanently, please reach out or go to katiepapo.com for more info. Be kind to yourself, and I hope to see you for the next episode.